Before you listen in, we'd like to warn you that this podcast does contain explicit language. I've managed to find a lot of people and make them sort of my chosen family. I have a great family, but my friends are absolutely my family. My family is really big, but I also grew up an only child until I was 15. New York City is full. It's full of a lot of people who are like born and bred here and have immediate family, like a train right away or whatever. Family. It's a relatively small word. I am so sorry for that pun, but it's also big. My family, my mom, is the most important thing to me. She's also my best friend. And I also have friends who I've known forever who feel like family. While working on this episode, I've also been thinking a lot about the family members I have that aren't here with me anymore. Especially my grandparents, shout out to Bibi and Jack. Even though they aren't here, I still think about them all the time. And I feel like our bond, our relationships, you know, they continue. That's the thing about family. Strong bonds that are hard to break. Most of the time. I'm Lauren Barry, and this is It's Generational. This week, our panel of guests, that includes improv comedian and teacher Susan Messing, a young baby boomer, Gen X News anchor Steve Chiotakis, millennial multimedia producer Mallory Samara, and Gloria Oladipo, a Gen Z reporter and playwright. They talk about family. They covered the good and the bad, from the beauty of deep bonds to the confusing territory of boundary issues. I'm mixed, mostly Filipino. So my tribe is big and most of my family is here in the Bay Area. I mean, I have some back home, but I've actually never been to the motherland before. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, no, my family, my family is really big, but I also grew up an only child until I was 15. My mom was a single mom for, you know, a good chunk of my life until my stepdad came in. Um, And I grew up in a house with my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt. So I think that my idea of family has been sort of unconventional from the beginning. And I have a little bit of different ideas of what it means to be a family. I don't feel like I need to have kids at a certain age. At some point, I thought married by 25, kids by 30. You know, you have like that whole plan. And then like you get to that age and you're like, I'm okay not being there. Um, you know, (laughs) I've got family and my friends, I've got family and my family, I've got like nieces and nephews, you know, I guess that's a good thing about being a part of a big family is like, uh, there are kids around. If I have to get my kid fixed, you know, just go to my best friend's house and my two God kids are there. Also just like being a millennial, you know, growing, being in my mid thirties at this point and being a journalist, um, I don't feel like I can financially, um, sustain kids at this moment. And so it's like, I, I just try to be as realistic as I can. They're fine. Throw them in a drawer. They're fine. They don't need any of it. Stick some socks on them. A boppy, a boppy pillow is a pillow. Trust (laughs) me. Yeah. I was, I was a single mother, so I do understand that for a long time until, uh, Sophia's, uh, stepfather came in the picture as well. And it, it, and, and, Again, we, you know, when we want to, we do things that connect us to people. I have sat around my family's dinner table only to see, uh, to start going, wait a minute, how many people in this family are even biologically connected to us? There's a lot of people in my family that would be traditional family that isn't even my family, but they're my family. Yeah. Well, like Filipinos, we call everyone, everyone who's like Filipino, who is older than you 
who might be your friend's mom is auntie. You know, my dad's on his tombstone. It said his family were his friends and his friends were his family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, that's kind of the life that I've been able to to live. Because w- when you're in comedy, you know, all of a sudden your best friends from Hazard, Kentucky and, you know, <laughs> in all these weird ass places you would have never gone. I guess it's like the army, you know, like all of a sudden you meet people from completely disparate places and it's it's not just w- what you have in common that makes you exciting. It's what makes you different and is exciting. And also that, you know, we come down to the core values of trust and loyalty and kindness and, you know, support and whatever that means. I, I feel like my whole life has been I've got I, I was lucky to have a very good family, you know, to come from that, that everybody was kind and the freak show wasn't so bad and you know, no apparent horrifying abuse or anything like that. So I had a great family. I I have a great family, but my friends are absolutely my family. Yeah, that's the same with me. I mean, I I moved out to L.A. 15 years ago um, from Alabama, and I've never had any difficulties. I'm a pretty I call myself an introvert extrovert because I, I, I like my by myself time a lot. But also you can drop me in the middle of just a crowd of strangers and I I would never I, I'd, I'd be perfectly comfortable and would make friends with all of them. Um, <laughs> you're just, I mean, I, I had a perfectly normal family. It was it was fine. I mean, we had our ups and downs just like any other family um, like you, Susan. But it's also the same, you know, where I have a group of friends, everybody before I moved out here, especially in Alabama, my close friends were like, you're going to hate it there. And I said, why? And they said, well, because, you know, it's really superficial and it's L.A. and it's kind of plastic and it's, you know, it's very transactional and blah, blah, blah. And, I, you know, yeah, there I, I think there are places like that all over the, you know, it's it's like that mm-hmm. in Alabama in some ways. It's like that in New York and wherever you might be, Toronto. But L.A., I've managed to find a lot of people and make them sort of my chosen family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we celebrate a lot of things. I just had a dinner party last weekend. Um, because we couldn't get together over the holidays and had everybody over and lit the, you know, the Christmas tree and had a lot of way, way too much alcohol. And it was nice. How hard is it, Gloria, to be in New York, you know, being so young? And that's a, that can be a tough place to meet people, right? You know, actually, I was thinking about that um, in terms of family, uh, because I def- I was thinking in general and to get to answer that also more specifically. Um you know, I think that New York City is full. It's full of a lot of people who are like born and bred here and, and have immediate family, like a train right away or whatever. Um, but I think a lot of us are, I guess the term du jour is uh, transplants and, and just basically people who have come here later in life and community. For me, it was, it's convenient having gone to school in the, in the same state and having people who I think, uh, though I guess I don't really see a lot of my fellow peers for I guess honestly it's pretty chill that way and but I think I think in general like a lot of people like finding community and finding a tribe more specifically is like very important because I uh, I think that New York has a special way of just like when it rains it pours and then it's it's tsunamis and then it it's on fire uh so it can be really it can be very unfortunate to not have a tribe or to not have a family and not have a community in general uh, during moments like that. And just in general, because like, it's very easy to get like lost in the mix here and to kind of, you know, forget one's values um, mm-hmm. just amid trying to pursue whatever one came here to pursue. Uh, though I think in general, 
I think that there's a lot of things happening that have helped close the mix for a lot of people. Like I know people who actively use like social media, like TikTok to find their community, which I think is certainly a way to do it. (laughs) And I think there are people who have used even like dating apps to kind of find friends. I think is also a way to pursue that as well. Lately, I've been thinking about this Seinfeld episode. It's one where Jerry talks about how hard it is to make friends when you're an adult. When I was a kid, I didn't think about it at all. But now that I'm older, I realize it's definitely true. And I've known most of my friends now for a very long time, which means that, you know, we've had a long time to work out our boundaries. And that can be hard for millennials. You see, it wasn't until I was in high school that most of my friends got texting on their phones High school is a dangerous, very gossipy time to be introduced to texting. Um, Even though some of us didn't even have full keyboards, we texted a lot. We texted all the time. And as an adult, weaning myself off of that constant friend communication was definitely a process. Dr. Alex Krotowski, an Emmy, BAFTA, and Radio Academy award-winning academic and journalist who writes about psychology and technology, joined us to explain more about family and found family boundaries in this age of unending tech. I think it's really natural to always be having these boundary negotiations. You can see different kind of articulation points, I suppose. When a child is developing, she or he is, you know, is is building that sense of who they are. Um, and the parents also have to kind of recognize where the child becomes autonomous when independent learning happens and all that kind of thing. And then naturally, it becomes it becomes very muddied <laughs> if you're raising a small person into the world to suddenly recognize that that person has that autonomy, has that agency. So there it's a negotiation that very much um, kind of comes to a head at certain points, whether that's at toddlerhood or moves into the more sort of social emotional development around third or fourth grade in the US, or then you move into the the teenage negotiations when, you know, the, the hormones are coursing through um, the young person's system, making them more or less rational, still autonomous to a degree, but still needing some guidance, some um, support in the formation of identity. And then, of course, you have the leaving home experience. All of these are negotiations that at best are discussed and communicated and worked through in a kind of happy Disney kind of way. In practice, of course, these things can get pretty ugly and people can overstep and understep and we kind of lose ourselves. Another next step in this is is when you um, you find your chosen family, your sort of your urban family, the the family that you know you have friends giving with or or you know you lean on for that social and emotional support that you perhaps would have done when you were younger with your biological family. Naturally, because we grow up with our biological families and we're in the same environment, we do have elements of ourselves that reflect that upbringing and that experience. As a social psychologist, I would say that because I truly believe that we are the sum of our experiences, and that includes our social and our our personal, our individual experiences. So though perhaps we may wish to reject um, a lot of the things that come from that period of time um, when we're growing up and those biological connections, those things still do have an impact on perhaps the decisions that we make, the behaviors that we exhibit, the likes and the dislikes 
that we have that over time may become more salient or we may become sort of more aware of the significance in our lives. But on a day-to-day basis, it is often the relationships that we have with our chosen families that are more significant and more important and more influential. Now, of course, drawing boundaries between your biological family can be as easy as not answering the phone or answering emails or text messages. It becomes a little bit more difficult, particularly if you have moved outside of the home context and you've moved somewhere else um, to be in an environment where you need to restrict those things with people who perhaps have been very, very close and very significant, your urban family or your chosen family. Because that is a different negotiation. Even in my first year, my apartment caught on fire in a very like not casual way. It's chill now. I know it's it's chill. It's chill now, but but it actually happened like less than like a a little over a year ago. That's terrifying. yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was, cre- it was very, that, so that's kind of what I mean when I say that, like, New York is just so not casual, because even navigating the sort of systems of support that are supposed to, like, be there for when someone's house catches on fire, mm-hmm. they just don't, they don't really exist in real time, like, as conveniently as they should, but I will say, because I have, like, a community of people who are able to, like, really help in ways that even my own family were not really able to do so because they, they just weren't there and they didn't really understand sort of like the magnitude the mark the magnitude yeah. the market like how hard it is to find a place just like you know the like the ways like I had friends who helped me like move and stuff like just things like things like that that I think were really important and were one bonding because like when someone does it for you just and just because you're just be a good person like you know help other people in that same way but I also think that we're just an example of why it's so important to have have like a kind of community of like even if it's like one or two people who can like who are really going to be there boots on the ground when things are happening so yeah. yeah I think it was really hard recently I took two people out of my phone that I found oh. to finally historically finally I just went you're 59 years old Susan these are toxic people mm. what are you doing and I took him out Oof. of my phone and I felt this huge sense yes a huge sense of relief because I wouldn't have done it otherwise but my assumption when I was younger was that you were required to be these people's friends for the rest of your lives. Yeah. And so yeah. I went, oh, okay. And I was these, I, you know, it's, I mean, when you look at Facebook, I'm like, shit, I knew that person in nursery school. Like it's getting stupid mm. how much and how long yeah. we know each other. Yeah. And I didn't know, speaking of transactions, that we were allowed to kind of up, a, like we could look at, this and say, not good for me. I don't think I'm going to up this new contract of friendship. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize your generations, I think, are much better at declaring. So I know boundaries are annoying sometimes because it sometimes prevents people from actually handling their feelings and sometimes things that are uncomfortable. But sometimes it's a necessary, you know, I, I it's I'm a mixed bag on both of it. I think it's an amazing thing to be able to declare what that is, um, yeah. because that also stops bad behavior. Um, yeah. But but I'm amazed that I was even able to do it. And mm-hmm. honestly, I was trying to model the behavior of like my daughter, who is more evolved than I am. And all of you mm-hmm. guys who are obviously smarter than I am, because <laughs> I'm learning from that shit. Not we smarter. Came, yeah. No, we came from a generation that we sucked it up. Up. A female comedian mm. in the 80s? Are you fucking kidding me? We sucked it up to stay at the table. 
It's funny you say that because my mom, she comes to me for friendship advice. And like when she's dealing with stuff, there's this one group of people from high school and they just like, they, she she doesn't have anything in common with them and they're kind of mean and they gossip a lot Mm. and they kind of treat her like, you know, like not great. And she would like Mm. keep, you know, she's like, oh, you know, I hit them up and I'm like, do you like them? (laughs) You know? Mm. And, and, you know, she's like, well, you know, actually maybe not. And the thing that she always says to me is, wow, you and people your age, you guys are so good at, at, you know, being able to just like draw your boundaries, cut off those toxic friendships. And, you know, how are you guys so good at this? I'm like, I don't know, Instagram infographics, I don't, <laughs> <Truly>. <laughs> therapy, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. But I think, you know, maybe just us being so tired and like broke and we're just like I don't have the space I don't have I don't have the space for it how smart but I think you know what I also think this is a byproduct of the fact I mean if you want to bring up social media and the reason why we are sort of the way we are today is because we are in constant and Susan you said this you said you know Facebook I have people that I knew in nursery school right and I have people that I remember from Gary, Indiana, you know, growing up on the block on Tyler Street, you know, where where it was like, wait a second, I haven't spoken to these people in 40 plus years. So why are they my Facebook? And it, which is fine. It, it's <laughs> nice to see where they are. Some of them move to other places and all that. But these people and, and the way social media works today is that it's like constantly in your face. Like mm-hmm. everybody is there. They are always there. And when, and I'm, I'm going to get into in my day. But, you know, when when I was growing up, when I was in school, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have social media. We didn't have nope. any of that. And you had nope. to organically meet people. Yes. And when you hung out with them. It was another organic thing. Or you made plans and you actually met them at the pizza parlor or, you know, at the skating rink or whatever it was. True. You know, like I sound like a dinosaur. But it's like now a gathering is like what we're doing right now on Zoom. We could never have done that back then. you know. Mm. And so it's just always there and so to to feel that way now it's like you kind of get sick of people that way oh yeah right i will no first of all yes you do i think that i think that there is a critical lack of alone time and like alone time by like really alone time like not alone time that gets posted and turned into like a reel but like actual <laughs> like don't talk to, like don't talk to me don't chat to me alone time i i also was gonna say like you know first of all kudos to susan we love cutting off people <laughs> <laughs> Earlier, I mentioned having a lot of longtime friends. I've also had friends that were like family for periods of my life that aren't really in it anymore. I also have family members who aren't in my life anymore. Sometimes it can feel like a failure to part ways with people and to spend time alone. However, Dr. Kotowski explained that it really isn't the worst thing. Sometimes you just have to. You know, there's this there's this thing that I think is complicated by uh, the online world, which is um, the we are not the same people throughout our lives. As I mentioned before, we are the sum of our experiences. And this takes us on different pathways through different forks. Um, And the idea that we have to maintain 
the the sort of the 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 same self or the same identity or the same experiences or the same you know likes and dislikes throughout our entire lives i think is an absolute fabrication um and one that is perpetuated by the idea that we can call up somebody's history from like 10 15 years ago and just assume that that is exactly who they are today that's not realistic and at times people do come into your lives and they are there at the right moment, at the right time, and you share an incredible bond, whether it's over a project or whether it's because you fall in love or because you both happen to walk past one another every third day at the dog park. It doesn't matter what that is. You develop that connection. And that connection is the thing really to be celebrated. We have a tendency to want to hold on to things. But I also just feel like our boundaries are just so rigid and like don't allow for like basic kind of human mistakes and not and not and this is like for my generation at least I just feel there's like a lot of emphasis on sort of like self-protection and sort of like cutting things off and trying to like you know scenario plan toxic relation like you know like just pr- like protecting forward thing like you know trying to trying to like figure out oh is this relationship going to be bad that we don't even like let people just be kind of like human and let people like make mistakes i had a conversation um about this with a friend who is a who has a teenager and he said that what is amazing is the language to be able to identify and articulate what's going on inside means that everybody has the ability to as best as they are able to communicate, to articulate what's going on inside. Um, so I think that the the prevalence of therapeutic language um, and the specificity of therapeutic language has become a really useful way for us to better understand one another. And you know, when somebody is struggling or when somebody isn't struggling, we're able to we're able to better communicate outside our own black boxes, outside our own heads. Um, and other people are able to receive that better. So I think that, you know, the more language, the better. But what he was saying is that, um, and this this really surprised me, what he was saying is that what he has found from his, from his daughter and his daughter's classmates um, is that they will then stop once they feel that they have achieved their own personal diagnosis, right? Use their own particular label. And they will then just say, well, that's just how it is. I've got ADHD or I'm depressed or I have an anxiety disorder or I have whatever. And it, the, the, the sort of the, the self-knowledge kind of then gets boxed in. And everything then gets defined through that lens rather than saying, okay, this is a thing that, you know, that is part of my life. Um, How can I work with it rather than have it define me? Um, And I and that it was it's one of these things that I'm still processing because I think it's a really, really interesting insight into the issues associated with having so much language to be able to articulate that which is going on inside. The labeling and the self-labeling can be counter-indicated <laughs> in terms of progress and moving forward. You then become, you know, 
back when I were a lass, you know, you then become the goth or you then become the punk rocker or you then become the indie kid. And there's no way out of that. Now it's you become the person with ADHD or you become the person who has depressive episodes or you become the person who has the anxiety disorder rather than the person who perhaps also likes classical music and also likes going on, you know, going hiking and also likes playing volleyball. You are singularly that thing, um, which doesn't allow progress and doesn't allow integration of that identity into the self in a productive way. I have a a peer of mine who is like, I'll be like, yeah, this person, like, they didn't talk to me back, like, and it hasn't, it's been like a couple days, they haven't heard from this person, and they'll be like, cut them off, cut them off, don't mess with them. And it's not even just that peer, I just like, there's a lot of emphasis on cutting people off, blocking there's not enough time for this, et cetera. And I'm just kind of like, where is the kind of just like human forgiveness wow. and element of patience? You know, I just feel very kind of, yeah. I appreciate so. that, Gloria, that that kind of um, acknowledgement of that, because there's there's an impatience there. There's an impatience. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of people say you should know this by now. And I'm like, I don't know when you tell people they should anything, they're going to do the equal and opposite thing because don't tell me what to do. You know, people right. are that way in general. Yeah. They there we we have we all have a little bit of natural oppositional disorder unless we're trying to balance our people pleasing. You know, it's all over the place. And maybe we and maybe what happens is, is this prevents people sometimes from living life and experiencing all that it has to do with. I mean, don't get me wrong. You burn your hand on a stove. Don't get back on that stove anymore. Um, So I, you know, we only had one rule in my house growing up here with me and my daughter, which is we don't hurt anyone else or ourselves. And that includes their feelings. And that was the only, that's the only rule because I'm a moron and I can't think of more rules. But the point being is that like, it, it makes me sad that, that you that 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 the part of me that thinks that it's amazing that you do have more rigidity and more boundaries and more you know constructs in place and and new language that needs to be honored and supported and uh and new thought processes yeah. but i but i do like i like the rigidity of your generation i got to say it's exciting they don't take shit i love but- it You're right. Being a recovering people pleaser is a tough transition, uh, especially when you do have those personalities in your life where you're just like, uh, you know, um, but as soon as you do start saying no, it it gets so much easier. And I've learned that it's a lot of it is about like moderation, too. Um, You can meet in the middle like you don't have to cut someone off forever. Um, You could just be like, you know what, they're going through a season in their life that doesn't you know, like if they need me, then I am there. But if I can choose to not be around that person, especially when it's like maybe affecting me in a way that I don't. Damn, one healthy. day they're going to be back in my phone. <laughs> oh, no, stand strong. Oh, they're going to text you one day from that from that number and you're going to go, who is this? <laughs> Oof. But it's it's one of those things where, yeah, you you I'm a people pleaser, too, Susan. I get it. Believe yeah, I know. me, I get it. And it's like and, and being on the radio, by the way, you know, you also have people who listen to you who think that you are that guy and that you can yeah. you can hear anything from them. You know, I can tell you my problems. I can you know, I can vent this thing that you angered me about or whatever it is. And it's like at some point you do have to put up some walls just to be like, no, that's not cool. 
So, yeah. but it is hard. It's hard for me too to take people out of my phone. I've done it, and I'll do it again. So you you, you go, girl. <laughs> do you have any tips for people who want to be responsible about their boundaries with their family? Well, I think honestly, the the it, it sounds so cliched, and I wish I could be like, here's a new thing that you can a pill that you can take that makes it all happy and easy. Of course not. It's about communication. It's about open lines of communication, and. You know, I'm saying this as a human being who also has had trouble in my life with those things, you know, with with those open lines of communication um, with both family and with friends. Some people I've been more successful at having those open lines of communication and other people I've been less successful. So just because I got the degree doesn't mean that I got all the answers. But all of the evidence does point to the resilience of relationships being based on active listening on feeding back, and truly ensuring that you are as open and honest as the context requires in order to draw those boundaries and to be very clear about at this moment in time, this is how I'm feeling. People are going to receive that in their own way. I do think that the one thing people kind of tend to forget is that like not every person will fit every type of friend that you need them to be like some yeah. friends are literally just to gossip some friends are just to like yeah go shopping sure some friends absolutely are just to share, you know what i mean just to like share like share tweets with and never actually talk about life and i just think that a lot of this word of rigidity yeah. like rigidity when it comes to boundaries is people being like well why isn't this person who i've only gone clubbing with wanting to hear my life story about like my you know <laughs> childhood divorce yeah. you know? and it's kind of like yeah. well, why like why would you want to build that friendship with them in the first place i have friend. i have a couple of friends i can't mix them with other yeah. social groups because yeah. they're kind of like mm, they're, they, they're not so good at <laughs> no. like, the new people thing <laughs> yes. and so i i hang out with them and their friends or like just with them you yep. know and i just i know mm-hmm. that's how it's that's gonna all, be that's, and that's all okay. i think that's life yeah that's, that's yeah. All. Some, <laughs> yeah some circles don't mix thanks for listening to it's generational We'd also like to thank our panel guests, Susan Messing, Steve Chiatakis, Mallory Samara, and Gloria Oladipo for joining us, as well as our expert, Dr. Alex Kratowski. Our theme music is by Zaptra. Check out our other episodes featuring this panel covering money and climate change. This episode was produced by Sydney Fishman, Mallory Samara, and me, Lauren Berry. Myron Kaplan is Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can listen to It's Generational on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.